Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our CPR series looks at certain topics that come up in life, and we attempt to discuss them in a way that relates to everyone. At times, we bring in the arguments of those opposed to the Word of God in order to practice contending for the faith that God gave His Church. It is our prayer that you will be equipped to give a defense for the truths of the Christian faith with humility and respect. Welcome back to the Burden and Blessing Podcast. We are excited to continue with our debate series. We've been trying to do more of those more recently. And our debate for today is a very important subject that is still being taught in a variety of different ways in our public schools and our private schools and discussed among scientists today. The question is, was there really a global flood? Joining me today are pastors Nathaniel Mayhew and Mark Tiefel, and they will be representing two different sides. Pastor Mayhew will be representing the negative side that does not agree with this statement, that there was not a global flood. And Pastor Tiefel will be representing the, the positive side, that he does agree that there's a global flood. Just a reminder that we are not expressing our own personal views in these debates, just trying to represent the debates and arguments that we've heard against truths like this and research in our own studies as well. Glad to have you joining us today, brothers. We're going to be dividing this up in the sections. So each of you in this first round will get two minutes to speak. We're going to be starting with Pastor Mayhew first on the subject. Was there really a global flood? Nathaniel, go ahead. Oh, Mark, I'm glad that you are willing to talk a little bit about this. This is something I've been troubled about for a long time. There's just a lot of parts of the biblical account of the flood that don't seem, number one, to make sense and to fit with what we know to be true and what we see in the historical and geological records around us. So just starting with one of the, the most basic of, of concerns is the size of the ark itself. In Genesis, the Bible tells us, and we can get a, an approximate size of the ark, but how could an ark built that big out of wood have survived and lasted through what must have been a very tumultuous time. I mean, the, the longest wooden ships that we have in, in modern eras are 300 feet in length. And according to the dimensions given us in Genesis, the ark would have been almost a third longer than that. How could, how could an ark that large actually be seaworthy? That's something that's really troubled me for a long time. And then in addition to that, we talk about all the animals and how those animals then could have gotten on the ark. And sometimes I think we, we really don't think about what this means, but we have God calling or bringing all the animals to God. But think about some of these animals, these varieties of animals that are all over the place and how, how could sloths and penguins, which don't travel over land very easily, have gotten to the ark? Or, or you think about, you know, koalas and cave dwelling animals and how could they have survived on the ark that needs certain types of, of uh, atmosphere and, and all of that. So these are just a couple of the starting things that make me wonder how, how it's possible that a global flood could have actually taken place. Mark, your response, two minutes. I appreciate the opportunity to debate too, and the genuine questions that you you mention. 
I'm a little puzzled at the onset about the questions because it's not necessarily about the question per se, um, not necessarily about the global aspect of the flood, but let's take a look at what you asked about the size of the ark plus how all the animals could have been on there. I think with the size of the ark, uh, we have to realize that our way of observing things today is not necessarily consistent with the way things were back then as well. Uh, just because we don't use wooden ships of that size today uh, in everyday tasks doesn't mean that it's impossible that a ship like that could have existed. In fact, I invite you to check out the um, Ark Encounter uh, in Kentucky where a replica of the Ark from Noah, according to the dimensions of the Bible, has been built. And you can you can walk through and they explain very clearly how a vessel of that size could have been built and could have functioned. As far as how the animals could have been on the Ark, I think what's important there is to remember what the Bible says about the animals. I think in our mind, in popular culture, in media, we think, well, Noah took two of every animal on the Ark. And that's where we start to wonder with all the animal varieties in the world, how could that even be possible to fit all of that on the ark? What the Bible actually says is that Noah took two of every kind of animal. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 20, it says, of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you and you will keep them alive. The biblical word for kind is most analogous to our understanding of a family of animals. So what we realize there is that two of every kind would represent a lot fewer animals than two of every animal. Uh, the kinds would be like the family of dogs or the family of cats. There's a lot of variety in that family, but it's just two of that family, which gave uh, rise to all the different kinds that we see today. And so when you think about it from that perspective, there's probably some have estimated that there were only about 1400 kinds. And so thinking most animals would have been younger, smaller, there would have been plenty of room on the ark for all of the kinds. Okay, thank you for both those sides. So far we have Pastor Mayhew showing how he's troubled about how the global flood doesn't make sense to him from a historical or geographical standpoint, the problems with that. He's referred to the ark of how that ark could survive those powerful floods and the animals, how would Noah have ever got them all on the ark? Mark showed his puzzled response to how Nathaniel maybe dodged that question to begin with and not talking about the global flood, but speaking about the ark size itself. Mark pointed out that these wood ships are very much possible and gave some examples of that. And then also the animals pointed out from what the Bible account says of there being two of every kind and talking about the species itself, not trying to take every breed of kind as well. Gentlemen, good first round. As we're looking at the second round, we're going to be doing two more minutes again to continue on the discussion. Let's go back to you, Pastor Mayhew, taking the negative side against was there really a global flood? Two minutes. Go ahead. Mark, maybe you misunderstood my uh, second question on the animals. It wasn't so much the types of animals that were there, but just you think about all of the animals all over the world. There are certain animals that are in parts of the world, but are not in every part of the world. And so my, my bigger concern is how in the world of Noah did animals that are slow moving animals actually get to the ark if they're scattered all over the world like they are today. I mean, how, how does a sloth make it 
to the ark and how does God bring it, bring it there? You know, so some of those, some of those questions there are, are more the question that I have as far as how they got to the ark to begin with. If you think about where the ark is in the center of, of, of the earth or this place where it, where it was. Uh, some of the other concerns that I have regarding, and, and those, both of those questions do fit into the global aspect of it, because we wouldn't even be talking about this if it wasn't a, a global flood. We wouldn't need an ark, and we wouldn't need um, all the animals to be on the ark, but that's part of the idea of the global flood. But there's other, some, some other scientific questions that I have, too. For example, if you look at all of the different, different mountain ranges across the world, for example, the Sierra Nevada mountain range, it has a different amount of erosion than the Appalachian mountain range. And if those were both created at the time of the flood or if they both went through a global flood and were covered with water, we would expect that they would have the same amount of erosion, especially since they're on the same continent. Uh, so there's another example of, of some of the geological questions that don't seem to be answered by a global flood. Or, or another example would be, trees. We have trees that date to 10,000 years of age, but in the rings, there's no evidence of an actual flood during those 10,000 years of lifespan. So where, where's the evidence for a global flood if there really was one? Mark, your response? Well, I appreciate the uh, further clarification on, on some of your questions there. Uh, I'll do my best to try to answer them. Uh, with the animals, how do they get to the ark? I think we have to submit that to, you know, a question that we can't answer by observation. What we know is that God tells Noah he's going to bring the animals to him. So whatever God, whatever way God designed that with whether the animal was fast or whether the animal was slow, it was a miracle of God. We have to admit that he brought these animals to Noah. Obviously, another question involved in that is where was the fear of the animals in coming to Noah? I mean, we know animals today are not just going to walk up to humans and do whatever they want. And so there's obviously the hand of God at work in some way. And that's about as good of an answer I think we can give from the Bible on that. As far as the mountain ranges go, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was one of the things I was going to bring up as well. Not necessarily the different amounts of erosion, but the fact that we have to understand that the way the world looked before the flood would have been drastically different from the way that it looks today. The Bible talks about in Genesis how the Lord opened up the great deeps and the windows of heaven were opened. And so we think about the Bible describing the water coming from above, but also coming from below and, and what that would have done to the face of the earth. Um, certainly would have been catastrophic. It would have ha made great changes there. As far as the different amounts of erosions, I, I'm not a geologist, but I would think that that could be explained pretty readily by the fact that they're in different parts of the continent, different parts of the world. Uh, you mentioned the Sierra Nevada mountain range and the Appalachian range. Those are thousands of miles apart. And so we have to account for you know, they, obviously they were formed from the biblical perspective during the flood, but after the flood, the way that those mountain ranges are going to react to the natural world around them is going to be vastly different depending on the geographic region where they're found uh, and what the climate there is like, what the annual rainfall is like, whether it snows there, all these different factors are going to go into how much it erodes. So I don't think we can take present day measurements of erosion and retrace that back to the flood as evidence that the, the flood the flood could not have been global 
And as far as your last point, I don't know if I have time to really comment on that fully, but as far as the age of the trees, um, I guess I'm not an expert to talk about the age of trees and how to date the trees and, and how the flood would have affected that. But my understanding of that is that there are, there are annual years where multiple rings can form on a tree. And so it's, to me, my understanding is that it's difficult to be able to accurately trace the exact date of a tree as far as how old it is just based on the rings alone. Thank you, gentlemen, for both your thoughts so far. As we listen to Nathaniel's second response, he is really showing why he is questioning and doubting that there was a, a global flood based off science and historical arguments, whether it be animals, whether it be erosions of different mountain ranges, whether it be tree evidence, his questions about how Noah collected animals, all these things are leading him to more of the skeptic viewpoint that how could a global flood really happen on Mark's side, he is showing that when it comes to the ark size or the animals, he brought in this last argument that as far as the gathering of animals goes, that's not something that Noah specifically would have needed to do himself, but that God brought them to the ark as well. So regardless of how fast or slow they were, and also talking about the fear of the animals and how, again, the Lord could have miraculously brought that to completion as well. Mark also spent some time speaking about the mountain ranges. And talking about different erosions could take place in different areas because of the climates and what's happening in those areas as well to explain some of those differences. And then he also reacted to the trees and not being the scientist, he understands he's not, to explain you know, that there are different viewpoints out there about having multiple rings as far as the accuracy and the dating of that goes. So Mark's main response to Nathaniel's last point was it's hard to use our time scale from what's going on now to measure something in the past. Gentlemen, we fin we're going into our last round here where you'll both get a chance to share your concluding thoughts, two minutes each. Nathaniel, why don't you begin, please? Mark, I appreciate you taking the time to help me through some of the struggles that I've been facing with this particular topic. You brought up in, in the last, um, your last comment, the water coming from above and below. And one of the things that I've wrestled with is how, how there could be that much water. If the water came from above, which is kind of the, the creationist version of, of the water coming down from above and, and a thicker atmosphere, it would, have, it would have changed things. It would have changed the oxygen and nitrogen levels and it would have made them a toxic and it would have changed the the environment on land making life impossible if that much water was above in the atmosphere above before the flood another another concern is uh, with one of the the formations in africa the crew formation in africa they have found 800 billion vertebrate animals now if you just take that find and you multiply that by the land mass that we have, that would give you an approximation of 2,100 living animals per acre, which means there's way too many animals to actually survive prior to the flood if those all died at the exact same time. So when you take a look at these, these formations where we have large amounts of, of animal fossils, it, it couldn't have happened in a short period of time, like in a global flood. There's just, it just seems like there's so many things that, that, 
that go against the biblical account and make it impossible for this. It had to have happened over millions of years as opposed to over one single year. Uh, so there again are, are some of the some of the concerns that I've that I've been wrestling with. Go ahead, Mark. Well, I think you, your last point there kind of sums up the main difference that we have here, and that is the, what factor does time have on this? Um, how much time did it take to see the, the geological catastrophe that we see in the world today? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close my thought with, with three points that I think give evidence of the global flood. And that the first point is the physical testimony of the Bible about the physical world. In Genesis chapter 7, the Lord makes it very clear. Verse 20 says, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. Chapter eight, verse nine says uh, that the dove could find no resting place and return to the ark for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So if, if we as Christians are going to take the word of God as it's written, he's very clear in Genesis, God goes out of his way to indicate that this was a global flood. We may not have all the answers we want for some of the questions that you have. I'm not, those are genuine questions. Those are good to ask, but ultimately as Christians, we submit to the word. The second factor I think that's important is the geological testimony and creation. You mentioned the fossils that we see. What we see in, in all the fossil layers is sea creatures in all the different layers, regardless of where they are on the earth. There's sea creatures in Kansas. There's sea creatures found in deserts. How do we explain that if, there, if, the, if the, the, the flood was not global? Um, geological features look at different sedimentary layers on the earth and we see layers that are expanded not only on the North American continent, but we find them packed like pancakes on all of the different continents of the world in the same level in the same way. The great unconformity, which you can go into the Grand Canyon and look at, is a sharp contrast between a granite foundation and sandstone on top. There's no evidence of time in between there. And we see that in India, in Africa, in Europe, in North America, all the same layer with no time or erosion in the middle. How can we explain that if it was a, if it was a matter of millions of years? And the last thing I would mention is what I call the spiritual testimony of the Bible. If you look in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus references the flood of Noah and compares it to the judgment on the final day. And we know that the Bible speaks that the judgment is going to be comprehensive. It's going to be global. It's going to be universal. Why would Jesus compare that to the flood of Noah's day? if it wasn't a global flood, if it wasn't a comprehensive flood. Peter mentions the flood too from a spiritual context, compares it to baptism. Well, the Bible is very clear. Baptism is meant for all people. Baptism is meant for the, the, the entire creation. And so again, we run into inconsistencies there as Christians if we take those spiritual elements of the Bible and, and retract the global flood from them. Uh, the Bible is connected in that way as God's word. Thank you both for your comments on this. And just a quick recap before we get into our discussion of it, Nathaniel asked several several different questions on why he was troubled, why he didn't believe there was really a global flood when it had to do with historical and geographical problems, whether it be the size of the ark or the animals or how Noah collected the animals or the erosions that we see in different mountain peaks or the trees or even the floodwaters themselves. Nathaniel came away with how could the flood, global flood, even be possible when you look at fossil records, when you look at all these other factors. So he is led from the historical geographical problems to believe that there 
the world, the flood would have had to, all the things that we see would have had to happen over millions of years. Mark's position was that he was saying that the, how could you not understand that the global flood really took place and pointing to the ark size and pointing to the animals being of two of every kind and showing that God could very easily have brought all the animals to Noah and indicates as much as far as the mountain ranges go, explaining from a creationist standpoint, a Christian standpoint, the different erosions, the trees dating, the reaction of the natural elements to those areas, the time factors. And then this last point too is the the test, the three testimonies he brought up, the physical testimony of what the Bible says about how the waters covered the earth and submitting to God's word. The fossil record is found in layers in the different parts throughout the world, different areas. And then the spiritual testimony, not just of Jesus, but of Peter and the others who pointed to this global flood in comparison to the final judgment day as well. Gentlemen, good job. Both of you is a, a tough subject to debate. Now, as far as just a reminder that uh, Pastor Mayhew isn't representing, is just representing this viewpoint, but not necessarily believing himself what he is transpiring out there. So now we have an opportunity to comment on the debate itself. Things we thought went well, things we thought we could have done better. Let's start with Pastor Tiefel. Well, it was tough to respond. I felt like I was constantly reeling and not being able to get any any points across from my perspective because I was trying to diligently answer uh, the objections that Nathaniel brought in. I think that when you're in it, when you're in this type of scenario, you know, it's not it's not going to be structured like this where you each have around two minutes. But I think as a Christian, when you're responding to some of these objections, you want to, you want to listen and, and respond to what the person is saying. But sometimes you might not be able to cover everything that they talk about. Um, and you have to bring in some points on your end too, and kind of take the offensive in some ways too. And that's kind of what I did in the third segment is I didn't, didn't really address the, the objections that Nathaniel brought up directly, but, tried to look at it from more of a uh, getting back to the scriptural standpoint. But I think what was going through my head is with what a, a lot of the things that Nathaniel mentioned, like the trees, uh, the dating of the trees, uh, the oxygen levels of how that there could be that much water, the eight, I think he said 800 billion vertebrate animals in the fossil record. I'd like to see some sources on that. You know, it's, it's hard to address that when who knows what, where that's coming from? I mean, unless you've studied those things, you could just Google that and have some skeptic throw that out there. I think, I think it's good to follow. If, if we would have continued this discussion, I probably would have asked him, well, where did you find some of those facts? What is the evidence behind that? Because what I found with a lot of the criticisms against the Bible, not just against the global flood, is that there's a lot of stretching of the truth with a lot of these so-called scientific arguments um, and so I think that if, if this is going to be more of an extended debate, you'd want to get into well, what, what is our basis for truth here? So like I mentioned, you can't, you can't uh, answer all of those things in such a short time period. So it's tough to pick and choose what to address. But I think Nathaniel did a good job of throwing a lot of the arguments we're going to hear out there, giving us a taste of some of the reasons why people struggle with the idea of a global flood. Daniel? I, th I thought Mark's summary there, I think he did a really good job of listening to what my concerns were. And for those who are listening, hopefully you noticed the way in which Mark dealt with me, that he dealt with me patiently. 
you know, he didn't get frustrated, but he dealt with the concerns that I had. And even though I was throwing a lot of stuff out there, he did continue to come back ultimately to what is our foundation. And, and that there are, in a lot of these discussions, especially those that have to do with science, there are problems on both sides. You know, there's going to be question marks or things that we don't have completely answered on both sides. And so ultimately, uh, while, while there are good reasons for us to believe in a global flood geologically, historically, uh, and otherwise, ultimately it comes back to what the scriptures say. And Mark did a good job in that last segment of coming back to the scriptures and saying, this is what the Bible says, ultimately. And we do have good evidence for it outside of scripture, too. Uh, but there, there are problems. And I like what, Mark, what you said, that a lot of times you'll hear people quoting things that they've heard or said, but may not have the actual facts down. And a lot of times when you start to look at those so-called facts that are proposed on the other side, there's loopholes in there. And they're, they're, they're taking information and they're making assumptions based on that information in order to prove their point. So uh, it's really important to take a look at that a little bit more carefully. And, and maybe you can't do that on the fly, but say, hey, why don't you give me that information where you found that and let me look into it a little bit more carefully and, and I'll try to get back with you with some sort of response. But Mark did a good job of coming back to our ultimate foundation and, and dealing with me in concern and care. And that's an important thing. I totally agree with both of you. I think, you know, my, my take on it when you guys were discussing this is early on, it was the the science debate, really. And I think that you did a good job of asking those questions that led to your doubt. Nathaniel and Mark was trying to address those questions in a kind way and trying to show that there is a biblical side of this too to look at. And I think the further you got down to the heart of it, like you both said in that final third round, again, this is uh, set up in the sense of trying to show how a discussion could look. It really got to the heart of what Nathaniel's concern was. All the evidence to him would suggest that this is impossible to ever take place. And Mark's point was that if you look at the testimony of the things from a Christian perspective, from the evidence from a Christian perspective, the worldview would be a good word to use, then it does make sense. But that, I agree, the tough part that Mark had was trying to find traction in the midst of all the arrows of questions that were sent at him. My favorite part of the whole presentation was the very end when Mark talked about the spiritual testimony. And if you believe anything about the Bible, when he talked about Jesus and Peter using the flood as very specific, very concrete examples to teach doctrinal truth about judgment day and what the Lord says about that and what Peter reinstituted about what he understood Christ said from it. To me, that was the home run for me, again, from my Christian worldview. So I did really appreciate this whole discussion because I think it is very similar to what we would face and be a part of in our common conversations other than maybe having the strict time frames and so forth. But I think you both did a, a very good job for the challenge of what the subject is. Any closing thoughts? So I was just going to add, I think that if you're in a real life situation and you're talking to somebody about this, you're going to know kind of what their belief is about the word of God. So you might be debating this with a Christian who wants to follow the Bible. I mean, in our, in this in this role play, I didn't really know if Nathaniel was like a hardened atheist, if he was kind of a fence rider, or if he was a Christian who was struggling with this. But that knowing that detail in who you're talking to is going to make a big difference about where you come from. Because the, the point is very clear when it comes to a global flood. If we're coming from the Bible, if we're, if we're two Christians talking about it and the Bible is our starting point, there is no debate 
there simply is no debate. The passages are abundantly clear that it was a global flood. Now, for but if it's the other side where we're talking about with somebody who does not accept the Bible as truth or God's word, then I think the angle that we want to come from is showing them some evidences of why the Bible fits in with the geological record or what we observe in, in the scientific community. There is evidence for that. So when Nathaniel and I talked, there was a little bit of a mixture between those two things. We talked about the geology. We talked about um, some of the scientific features, but we talked about the word of God too. I think for, for those listening, I think it'll be easier if you're having this discussion with somebody because chances are you're going to know exactly where their starting point is. And then Picking, picking up the discussion from where they're at is the key there. Thanks, Mark. I think that's very insightful. Nathaniel, do you have anything else before we close? Just the fact that in all of these conversations, you know, especially these that, that touch on science and the Bible, it is important finally to go back to that ultimate authority. The, the, the science is often changing. And we learn more and more as days go on, we begin to understand the details and the history and the geology better. But a lot of times you can see those things still, some cases you can see them from two different perspectives. There's different interpretations of it. And so as Christians, ultimately we do go back to the scriptures themselves. And that is the ultimate thought. That, does that doesn't change. There's, there's not different viewpoints on that. And so ultimately we do want to lead the person that we're talking to to that ultimate foundation. And it's good to bring in the historical geological evidence that also supports the scriptures. That's good, but take them back to the, the one thing that doesn't change. And Mark did a good job of doing that. Thank you brothers for your time and efforts on this. Always an ongoing discussion study and a defense for what we believe is truth. So we pray for not just one another, but for our listeners here, we pray that you be supported by the word of God and all you believe and teach and stand for that truth in a world that we continue to look forward to the Lord's return to take us home forever. Until next time, thank you for joining us on Burden and Blessing on this special debate series. Lord keep you. We hope that you will join us next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing podcast. Our goal is always to bring you the whole counsel of God. Until next time, go in the strength of the Lord and preach the word.